Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Famous Talks with Christine. Now, today we're going to be sitting with a very, very important person by the name of Kimberly Bennett. She's an entrepreneurial lawyer that helps creatives and so many other people to help build their brands and get it off the floor. So Kimberly is here to offer some great advice, but no, nothing in this podcast should be considered legal advice. And the content provided is for educational purposes only. Should you need to render Kimberly's services, her contact information will be provided at the end of the show. Hello. Hi, it's Christine. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Did you have trouble <laughs> getting in or was it okay? No, it was fine. I just um, realized that it was sent where it was sent. That was, that's why I didn't, um, I was like, Oh, I'm just, I was literally about to call you, but I realized you sent it to um, my, it's, it's a, it's a digital number. So I got it, but it's, I don't always get gotcha. text there. So I didn't, I was like, Oh, that's where it is. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Sorry about that. Sorry no, about it's that. okay. Well, first I do want to thank you so much for joining this conversation. I mean, in our conversations, you know, over the last couple of months, I started famous, which stands for fashion and marketing us. And in that process, it's been a crazy process of researching it and trying to figure things out as far as registering a business, um, whether I should go S Corp or LLC, do all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So because I know that there are so many entrepreneurs out there with a lot of the same questions, I definitely wanted to make sure I had a chance to talk to you um, because I know that these are questions that you have been dealing with and are able to answer in a much more adequate way than I can. So I will let you go ahead and introduce yourself as well. Okay, thank you. So my name is Kimberly Bennett. I run K Bennett Law LLC, and it's a virtual law firm that supports entrepreneurs through all their stages of development. So I help entrepreneurs and small business owners protect their brands and grow profitable and sustainable businesses via memberships and subscription services. Awesome. So, I mean, taking a look at your website, I see the word creative used a lot. So what is it specifically about creatives and social disruptors that you uh, choose to represent or does it expand beyond that? Oh, so it definitely expands beyond that. But um, I think in another life, maybe I feel like I'm a creative too, but I think we, (laughs) but I think we're all creators, right? Just how we create our input, create what it is that we're putting out there. But I just enjoy people that are looking to that express themselves in a range of ways that are looking to change the way um, something is done in their industry. And so even for myself, I'm, you know, I'm an attorney, but the way I deliver services is different. And so I even look at myself as a disruptor in my industry. And I just like to, you know, to work with people that are doing awesome things, trying to make a dent in this world. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Everybody is a creator in their own right. Right. So like I said two seconds ago, I um, took the hard way and did a lot of internet research in the beginning of this process because I think one of the confusing things about, you know, when you're deciding to start and build something on your own is after trying to figure out what it is that you want to do, you have to understand what the next steps are. And I mean, to be completely honest, I think there's a there's an idea with a lot of people that seeking counsel mm-hmm. is going to cost a lot, especially upfront as an entrepreneur, you're not sure that you have the funds to support that. So what exactly, or why is it so important to seek counsel in the beginning stages of starting a business? You know, I, I should say, let me start off in saying that I totally get why 
people feel that way. I think first and foremost, that's an issue of my industry more than anything else, because Mm -hmm. I think we have failed to present the value of our services and just presenting how much we touch so many aspects of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And so as we are um, changing how legal services are delivered, my hope is that more individuals, more entrepreneurs, more business owners will see the value of it. But you know, in the beginning, yes, you should, in, you should engage an attorney as early as possible mm-hmm. that fits within, you know, your ability to afford it. But I think it's something that most entrepreneurs do not take advantage of. And attorneys really touch so much of your lives. If you're starting a business, maybe it's you, you there's an estate planning attorney that you want to consider to help right. you with planning out what happens if something goes, you know, goes, what happens if you pass away? What, what, what do you leave? How do you leave your business, right? They're mm-hmm. part of that process. If when you're starting a business, a business attorney to help you set it up properly, a tax attorney to think through those legal issues around taxation and not that one, one attorney can maybe help you solve a few things, but I always like to tell people to have a couple of attorneys in like your back pocket, right? Maybe you're right. not paying for them all at once. That's fine. But, but, but people to advice. go to, right. Yep. You know, everyone has their like zone of like expertise, their zone of genius that they all know that they can rely upon. And so if you're in the business of creating, let the person that's in the business of understanding the rules and obligations to make sure you're compliant Mm -hmm. and compliant fast, early and ongoing. And so, yeah, you want to definitely do that. But that's, you know, we as a, as an industry, we failed to show our value, but then Mm -hmm. once I, as you're growing a business, you want to be an informed entrepreneur. I think most people don't start businesses to lose everything that they have. And so, (laughs) right. So you want to have someone on your team that will help guide you through those, those steps in your business, because there are a lot of right. things that happen that you want to make sure you're, you're considering. So you said, um, you said how the services are delivered. Now I know you also virtually counsel as well. Mm-hmm. So what, what led to that decision? Was it the reason that, you know, services are being delivered or are used to being delivered in a certain way? So this offered more opportunities to people to get in touch with you? For me, it was a lifestyle choice. You know, I am focused on building an intentional law practice, both Mm -hmm. for myself and for my clients. And so I knew that I wanted to have some flexibility in where I lived, but I still wanted to make sure I was able to service clients where they are and in the states that I'm admitted in or nationally Mm -hmm. and, and the work that I can do nationally. And so it was, it was important for me to do that. So when I first started virtual, it was really focused on being remote as that's, as I've gone out, gone through the years, I've also incorporated more of technology. And so when I think of virtual now, it, yes, I'm remote, but it's also engaging a lot of technology. And so where I started, where it was, is so different. So now, you know, we can meet face to face over a camera, Mm -hmm. you know, we can meet, there's a lot of ways to still engage. So it's about meeting clients, you know, reducing overhead, reducing some of the costs associated mm-hmm. with hiring an attorney and also, you know, making sure I am building an intentional and sustainable law practice right. in the same way I want to make sure I'm build, helping clients build intentional and sustainable businesses. Now, what percentage of your business would you say is more virtual than in person? All of it. I mean, I, there are some clients, so some of my trademark clients might be local to where I'm at, but mm-hmm. for the most part, everyone's people well right I mean I do a lot of New Jersey Pennsylvania work and so I sit in Atlanta so they're not here (laughs) right (laughs) that makes complete sense okay so I'll switch gears a little bit so we're talking about people who are starting their business as entrepreneurs so 
in the first steps, you know, I have an idea. Here's what I want to do. But um, I still work. I still have my day job. How can I still, as a creative, protect my ideas and business if I'm still working for someone else? Well, that's an interesting question. I think there are a lot of ways to look at that set of like facts. It's going to be very fact specific. And I know that's the most annoying lawyer answer to give. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, generally speaking, you know, if you're working in a, for a business that you're creating a business that's just like the business you're working for, there might be some red flags that, that fly right. up. Right. Um, I think that's a big scary piece for a lot of entrepreneurs now that are not, I mean, people who are some, not all are chasing their passions, which happen to be in a business they also work in because I mean, to be quite honest, a lot of people use the job that they're in to learn and grow and gain skills so that when they go off and do their own things, they have that with them. Right. Which I think that's part of, you know, learning and growing and, and developing in your career. Your career, mm-hmm. your career is not necessarily attached to a company, right? It is right. your personal development and your skill set. So I, as someone that hires people, I'm actually okay with someone coming in and wanting to learn a lot and then eventually going on to their own thing. Right. That makes me feel like I've done good. You know, yes. I have, I have contributed. Well. <laughs> right. Like if you go off and you're this amazing attorney or you're amazing in the area that you worked in my business, fabulous. That means we're doing something right here exactly. too. And then that also helps me recruit better. But I mean, things you want to consider, what is your, if you're an employee, what does your employment agreement say? What do your employee policies mm-hmm. say? You really, you know, people really need to take a step back and think about the, all those documents you signed when you came in yeah. and know that at some point, particularly if you're looking to grow a business at a later stage in your life, you're going to be on the other side of that equation, right? Exactly. And so you want to make sure that person is building out a business, you know, sometimes it's, it is about being upfront or at least understanding what, what your limitations are when you're working for a business. So reviewing anything that you signed, that's employment agreements, that's employee policies. If you're an independent contractor, that's independent contractor agreements. Although that's, that's a little bit different, but if you're an employee, yeah, you definitely mm-hmm. need to see what you signed and what the rules are in your business because yep. you don't, you don't want it to, you don't want them to, believe that some work that you you've created your intellectual property is theirs but that's really an analysis that you need to make and but hey this is why you want to say let me talk with an attorney let me have somebody to help me as I'm developing out what I'm doing so that I can make sure I'm protecting all of this intellectual property that I'm looking to develop while I'm still somewhere else that's a perfect segue into if I'm at a company and I decide you know what I've done all this stuff but I'm ready to start my own thing what are the steps that I need to take now to kind of branch out and decide, all right, here's my business idea. Here's the plan. What do I do to get going? What's the next step to get started? Right. So I think when you're looking to start a business, you want to first make sure it's a viable business. You know, you want to make sure people will buy whatever it is that you're selling. So Mm -hmm. while that's not even the legal answer, you want to make sure that before you go and spend all this time on trying to sell a product or a service, you want to make sure you have people that are, that are there to, to purchase it from you. So I think the first thing after you have your plan is to test it out, you know, do a little test run to make sure that it's something that's there. But um, outside of that, you want to do things from a legal perspective. You want to, you know, form your business, meaning you want to actually go to the state that you're living in or whatever makes sense for how you're growing out your business to register Mm -hmm. that business with the state. Then you want to, if you're building out a brand, then you want to protect it with trade do some trademark protection because what you find a lot of entrepreneurs do is that they start businesses and don't worry about their branding and don't worry about protecting their brand until they've you know made money, which is the 
wrong way to think about it. You want to protect it early so that when you're spending your money, you're not spending your money. Um, you're not losing all the money you've spent because someone else already has this brand established in the market and then you receive like a cease and desist. So mm-hmm. definitely um, register your business, then seek trademark protection, get your documents in a, in, in a row. So when you're first starting, maybe you're not hiring employees, but it's independent contractors, right. your service agreement. And then the other thing is insurance. You know, a lot of people don't think about it, but you want to get insurance right. in place. You see a lot of, in the creative space, you have people that are, creating, you know, graphics and design and doing in the fashion world. That's awesome. You have people that are also teaching others how to do it or they're coaching, Mm -hmm. but there's risk that's attached with doing any business. And so you want to protect yourself against those risks. So part of that is by forming a, you know, LLC or corporation. And then the other part is having insurance. All right. So you taught, you you dropped a couple of terms here that I kind of want to touch on a little bit. So one of the first things you said is that um, you kind of register with your state, but you also mentioned that you have to test you know, test the market and see if people are actually willing to purchase what you're putting out. So my question with that is, how does, if your test market is global, for example, whatever you're selling or offering, whatever services or goods you're offering to you, it's a global product. So you want to go beyond just the state that you're currently living in. How do you go about testing your product? Glo- I guess, is the, is the rule to just kind of test it within the, the state or area that you're able to register in at the time or is there a way to get around trying to figure out whether or not this is going to be big on a it's going to be on a big scale um, and it's useful for people more than your immediate surroundings well I mean I think that's a little bit of a business decision you know what you end up doing in terms of testing it out I think if you're testing out the idea you know you can test it to a small market to a larger market but to the ideal market so whatever that ideal (laughs) market is is what you want to test it against um in the process of testing so say you've decided you know there's there's this brand that a brand name that you're looking to do and you know that's going to be your logo that this Mm -hmm. is going to be the name that you want to use well even if you didn't start your business i would actually say go ahead and get that trademarked right because you're starting to put it out there okay um there are some trademark before register you 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 could do them simultaneously okay if you're putting out products and want to do that but you know the the trademark protects others from utilizing your brand name improperly so it gives you the ability to stop someone from doing it but the real goal of it the the core goal of a trademark protection is so that a consumer can recognize your product or service as coming from you so the value that you bring that the all that the great quality that you that you bring who you are so it's brand you know recognition for the consumer so if you're if you're doing large tests and you're really and consumers are starting to know who you are you want to make sure you've protected that but i think you know trademarking and starting a business are things that happen at the same time. And when you trademark, I should say this too, it's really the start of your intellectual property portfolio. It's not the end. And so you can do that even before you've sold something, which Mm -hmm. people don't necessarily understand too. But I would say those are like simultaneous. But if you're looking just to test what you're doing to see if it's worth spending all this money, do, you know, a smaller test to your ideal clients and or you know ideal market and see what happens but don't go too far down i was just going to ask about cost of all of this so now you're thinking um if you do decide to go and trademark you have to pay for that if you do decide to register you go and pay for that and then once you've done that you're ready to put your brand and test it out there but what if you realize uh oh this is not as strong as I thought, I have to go back and make some tweaks and adjustments. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have to go back and pay for a new trademark or pay to adjust your registration? 
It depends on how it depends for both. I mean, you can, there are ways to register companies that, you know, maybe give you some flexibility on the services that you are offering. The -hmm. trademark though is really specific to a class of good or services. So if you decide today, I'm going to um, sell food products and I'm putting out all my market around selling food and I trademarked my brand name in the class of, of like a food category. And then I turn around and now I want to sell clothing. Right. Those are two different classes of goods or services. So you would need to go back and do that. But again, you know, that's when you you bring in strategy, you bring in people to help you think through it. Yeah. I I always tell folks, you know, that while starting a business is awesome, it doesn't come without a cost. And I do think most entrepreneurs are told, especially now in our global economy, where there's a lot of social media out there to present so many options. There are a lot of options, but it does, there are startup costs. And those shouldn't be, you shouldn't skip those simply because you feel like, I'm not sure if this is going to work because you want to protect yourself and go into Mm -hmm. it knowledgeable, making informed decisions. Right. So talking about um, different industries, if you do decide to register or trademark and you find that another business has the same name as you, but it's in a completely different industry. Is it still okay to register the business with that name given you're producing two different goods and services? For example, I know um, in looking a lot of this stuff up, one of the things I come across often is the Delta example where there are Delta faucets and then Delta airlines where they have the same name, but two completely different industries. Is it okay to go forward? Or would you say, especially as a a new business, it's a safe bet to kind of, if you have the ability to choose the option to, figure out a new name or something else that might work? You know, I think it's a, you want to sit down with a professional kind of talk through what your plans are of your business, right? Because part of you going after a trademark is part of your global business strategy. Right. But like you noticed, you know, a trademark again is to specific class of goods or services. And you can even look this up online. It's at the USPTO's website and you'll see all the classes of goods or services that are available. If two people are selling things in two different classes of goods or services with the same name, well, then the mm-hmm. consumer should not be confused when you see a Delta right. faucet and the Delta airlines. So there is some, that, that's part of the underlying idea that you can't trademark across. Well, you can decide you're going to trademark across all of the classes of goods or services, but then you also need to be selling in all those classes, uh, mm-hmm. all those classes to maintain okay. your trademark. Um, but that being said, there are some, exceptions to famous trademarks where maybe, you know, even though it's a different class of good or service, it might confuse people. And so that maybe there's a chance you wouldn't be able to get yours in a different, in a different um, category, even though you guys are doing different services. So So even like the, the famous Nike swoosh, for example, I know, um, I mean, I don't know all of what goes into their paperwork, but if a brand decides to start something and use an inverted swoosh, but called it a check or something like that. Obviously, I'm sure Nike has all these legal protections behind it, but things like that, because they are a famous brand and, you know, they've been around forever. It's likely that a inverted swoosh should be recognized and probably thought of as Nike versus whatever new brand it is that you're trying to create. Right. And right. You know, they're, they're, so when you're thinking about branding, it is, and trademarking, there are logos, there's a name, there's like design, there's different types of marks that you can actually get trademarked. Mm-hmm. And so a great, another great example is like Coca-Cola on a Coca-Cola can. There's so many different trademarks that sit on that can. 
mm-hmm. that all signify Coca-Cola. So, you know, there's like RC Cola, maybe I'm right. dating, aging my, dating myself, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there are, you know, Pepsi Cola, you know, the Cola, sure, but the Pepsi, the Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. the way it's written, the colors, exactly. yep. even that there, I forget, the ribbon, I believe it's called, you know, they all of those different elements of their logo of the design are trademarked. Right. So when you're thinking about growing out your business, you know, this is why you want to have a team of professionals to help support your vision. One of the things I just, I was sitting on um, a call or something and we were chatting about growing a business and that statistically speaking, most business owners really are set up to not be solo entrepreneurs. And instead Mm -hmm. they really need to have a team because okay. most of us don't necessarily have the skill set to do. And that's not to say everyone that's listening aren't, you know, you're not awesome people. I believe everyone is, right? You're awesome. <laughs> right. You're, you know, we all have our zone of expertise or genius, ability. right? Exactly. But that being said, you know, if most of us are really not set up to do everything on our own, that means we all need some extra support on, along the way. And so when you're building out, your business, and then you're thinking about all the branding that you're going to do, you're going to have someone helping you do that. And then as you grow out that portfolio, you're going to keep on getting new trademarks to further establish what it is that, what, how the market views you, and then, then to prevent others to try to infringe on what you're doing by, you know. Okay. So talking about these businesses, you know, you register it, you figure out what you want to do. When we get into the, you know, the nitty gritty of it, where you're actually ready to fill out your paperwork, how do you know what the best type of registration is, whether or not you should go, you know, you're building a corporation, whether or not um, an LLC is fine, sole proprietorship, what's the, the best way? I mean, obviously the best way would be to consult somebody who knows best, right. but as an entrepreneur who's starting out, is there one that's easier than another? Because I feel that, um, and I actually didn't even notice this until more recently because I had been looking into the stuff, but that a lot of bigger brands that I thought were corporations are actually LLCs. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, I think I saw, maybe it was Bravo Network on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw LLC behind it. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of brands that I have thought were big corporations, but in fact are LLC. So where where is the the differentiation between which one should be, your business should be registered as? So deciding on where what you choose for an entity. So that's when, when we say like legal entity, we're talking mm-hmm. about forming an entity that that's what we're talking about. LLCs, corporations, partnerships, a sole yep. proprietor actually is not an entity. So once you decide you are going to make money doing something and you accept money to, to provide a service or a good, you are now in business, assuming it's always for, for profit and you are, you are effectively a sole proprietor. You're just doing business unprotected and that if someone something went wrong and someone decided to sue you, they can sue you for your business assets and your personal assets. So basically, the money's coming out of my pocket if I am a sole proprietor. Well, it, it might come out of your pocket even if you're, you know, a LLC. There's just a few layers that maybe help prevent that from happening, assuming you follow the rules to maintain this separate entity. So it's to ma- maintain yourself separate from the business. But okay. things, things to consider when you're deciding on which entity to choose, your exit strategy for one, how do you plan on leaving mm-hmm. your business? Everyone should think through what your exit strategy is, meaning when it's time to leave your business, are you going to sell it? Are you going to dissolve it? Do you want to bring on um, investors to scale it up? You know, so some people take on do corporations as an entity choice because they know they're like in the tech space and they're really looking to get invested yeah. very fast, right? 
others that are that know they are bootstrapping it or it's more of a, a smaller business or one that they're not necessarily seeking that level of investors might do an LLC. Right. But that being said, you see investor focused businesses also organize themselves as an LLC. A lot of that will be state specific and the requirements of your state and mm-hmm. deciding, you know, some states for LLCs have a publication requirement, meaning once you've, once you've registered for an LLC, yeah. now you have to like actually put it out there and tell people yep. that you've do, you're doing it. So there's, a, there's an extra cost there. But then corporations have definite requirements yearly that you must meet to make sure that you're maintaining that status. But how do you know that up front? How do you know whether or not? Because, I mean, everyone's starting a business. I'm sure they believe wholeheartedly 120,000% that, you know what? My idea is great. This is it. I'm going to take this to the end of the earth. I'm going to bury this. This is going to be great. You know, some people really believe that, this is my this is my baby. This is my child. I'm birthing this business, and then maybe a year or two into it, that's when they realize, okay, you know what? I need investors. I need a board. I need this, that, and the third. And then they think that you know what? I could possibly want to sell the business. You know, a couple things might change after the business has been up and running for a little while. Right. So what's, what's your I guess fail safe for that? Is there options to go back and change? the way your business is registered? So you can always change it. You can always convert to different entity selections. There are options for you. But I think one of the things for people to consider and to always embrace is that your business is, is a child. Is, it, that's a great analogy. Or I like to say it like, or like a marriage. You know, it's starting in its infancy and it's, then it's developing over time. That, so if we're gonna use the child analogy, that child is not gonna be the same person, same experiences you know, when they're zero, when they're one month old to when they're 10 or even when they're two. Right. So sure, your business is going to change. That that does not mean that you don't then you don't plan for it. So plan for it. Have the conversations at the outset. Plan for it in your current agreement. And then any of the agreements that you have, you should annually look at them, review them and make sure the business is still going in that same direction as it was detailed in the agreement. And if it's not, adjust them, right? Okay. Part of when you see two people come together and they start a business, a lot of founder issues pop up down the line because of lack of communication, (laughs) right? Communication is what's key. Communicating it and then putting it on paper so you have a point of reference to go back to. So yes, it might change. And more than likely, it will change when you have more research and development into your business for the product or service that you're Mm -hmm. trying to sell. That, though, that should mean, though, that you want to plan for that. You want to have things in place. You want to have your agreements in place. You want to think mm-hmm. of the exit strategy from day one. If it changes on day, you know, year two, that's fine. You adjust your right. agreements to reflect your new exit strategy. And maybe that also means you need to adjust your entity selection. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's just the process of growth and development. But when you think of statistics about how business year one to year 10 and why the drop-off happens, a lot of it is communication, planning for things, understanding your market. So my goal with clients is to help them think through these things at the outset and then keep them going as a part of their natural it's on being right. an informed and intentional business owner. Okay. So would you suggest um, for an individual, an entrepreneur, someone who's just starting their own thing, um, someone who... I'm trying to give like the most basic, easy scenario. Somebody who is not as, I guess, savvy with looking up business law, if they aren't, you know, so sure what to do next, is there a direction that you would suggest or 
push them towards and say, you know what, this might be the easiest because you, you don't want to, you know, write minutes. You don't want to have a board. You don't want to do this. Or um, if you're looking to do that stuff later on, here's an option to consider. Is there a way to go for that individual person who at this current moment is doing everything themselves? This is probably not going to be the best answer that you're going to want to hear. <laughs> so I'm going to say no, right? Because you still want to plan for it. Now, even if you, you, you still can set yourself up like a corporation and do the necessary requirements and keep it minimal as you're growing out, if that's what makes most sense. A lot okay. of people do default to the LLC for a lot of states because the management of an LLC tends to be a little bit easier, you know, so right. you default to that. You know, partnerships have a lot of issues. If you just two people come together and they work together, that's a partnership under the law. And there are, there are standard laws that attach so that instead of you having the standard baseline laws that attach that, that the state decided, create your own rules and regulations in your agreements. But, you know, I would say, you know, most people probably go with LLC. But mm -hmm. that being said, you know, you really, it needs to be specific to what you're trying to do in your business. And don't, okay. don't skip. Take the time. If, if you're not sure, if you know a year from now you're looking to launch a business, well, spend that year planning it out. You can plan it out slowly but purposefully. And so that when you do take that launch, you don't have to launch it maybe today, but you can do all the steps to pre, you know, in the pre-launch mm -hmm. to get you there. And then to say, well, I want to do this entity. Well, what's, you know, should I do it on my own? If I'm going to do it on my own, what are the steps I need to take? Should I take a workshop? Should I do yep. something to learn the information and to understand where your gaps are? So you can fill them while you're in the development stage. Okay. We talked a little bit about, you know, having these things in place, but can I get your opinion on, um, let's call it, uh, they're not, they're agreements, but, you know, non-verbal agreements or inherent copyrights or things like that. So for example, you and I are in a partnership. Obviously, I don't know the full extent of the law, but if there's an agreement made, a verbal contract before anything was put on paper, or if you have a website up, I think there's um, information online that says things like, you know, if you're the first to put something online, there's an inherent copyright behind it without actually having to have a copyright. A lot of people just throw that C up on their website right. um, without just, without actually having anything behind it. So what is... I mean, coming from a lawyer's perspective, obviously, what's the idea behind these things that aren't, there's no actual paperwork behind it, but there is something to say, well, you know, this kind of is mine, you know, I right. said it, I put it up there. So, right. So baseline, there are certain things that can be protected and certain things that can't be protected. So if you're creating works of art, you know, copyright, if you're trying to protect your your, you know, your brand, if you want to establish your brand, your slogan, your slogan, your slogan, <laughs> your logo, I definitely mesh those words <laughs> together. Um, if you're looking to invent something, then we have patent law. So patent law for inventions and generally trademark law for your brand name, mm -hmm. your logo, your slogans, copyrights for the expressions of those things. But, uh, okay. but for all those things, nothing protects your ideas, first and foremost. So if you have an idea, that's great. There's really no, no way to protect that, except for maybe like through an agreement like an NDA. But we'll put that to okay. the side. Um, but, you know, so some, one thing I hear a lot of people talk about is like the poor man's trademark, I believe is what they always say. So, <laughs> what is that? yeah, no, I, let, it, <laughs> let it go. 
it's it's sure you have some minimal trademark protections under with state uh-huh. law when you do stuff, but like not enough to really have value. Where you get value from having a proper trademark is filing it with the federal government for U.S. protection. And this this we're talking about U.S. law, right? I'm not even talking mm-hmm. about international because that's something right. different. But yeah, so like when you start putting out your um, you know you're you're doing this, you have a logo that that you're using. Sure, you have some ability to continue using it if you were the first one to do it but it's quite limited in scope and if someone else comes behind you and then they they register it well maybe there's a carve out for you and your city Mm -hmm. that that you did it but that's it you know so you want to be purposeful on how you're protecting your intellectual property which is really some of your most important your largest assets in your business that you don't always see value in the very beginning but over time that's when they spark up like they do gain value so who wins when it comes to I had the idea first and I acted on it, but somebody else trademarked it first. Well, so I had the, so remember we don't protect ideas, but if I had the logo first, if I had the brand, Uh if I had the name first and someone else went and trademarked it before you did and you didn't, and you weren't selling. So to only, not only must you um, go, you know, so trademark protection does two things. It protects your, it protects the consumer for understanding who the proper person is that's giving, that's mm-hmm. selling the good or service. And it protects you to make sure that no one else can infringe on it. But to, to maintain that protection, you always have to be selling something or you right. have to intend to sell it within a certain amount of time. And if it's outside of that time, then you're not going to get a protection. So if I'm using uh, a name, that's my go-to name, but I've never sold a good or service using that name. Well, there's a good argument there to say there's no protection that you can even have. But then this goes back to what you were saying in the beginning of the conversation where we talked about registering in a state. So if I register in um, Pennsylvania, but somebody has a trademark and they're practicing business in California, am I still protected in Pennsylvania or because they're well, I guess, yeah, the trademark is protecting protected against the entire United States, but they're only practicing in California at the moment. So do I lose because I'm only registered in Pennsylvania or because I was doing business anyway? Am I still, do I still have some leg room? So there's probably a lot of things that were happening in that question that we can kind of go down a couple of different paths, but let's like take a step back and talk generally about trademark law. So trademark law, um, federal trademark law protects someone's brand. So their logo, their, their name, it protects their uh, slogan. It protects that nationally, assuming you are granted federal trademark protection by the USPTO. Mm -hmm. There's a process that that you would need to go through, which after you've decided whether or not it's something that seems like you you can get a registration for, then you apply for for it. And then it goes this months and months long process, depending on the type of application you file with the USPTO, where another attorney comes in, reviews it, decides if what you're, what you're applying for makes sense and if there's any, any reasons to stop the application. Mm-hmm. And then from there, if they, if they say, go ahead, it, it's good to go, then they'll, they'll publish okay. it and they'll do some other next step before you officially get a registration. But a, a federal it. registration is for federal protection. A state registration really is just for state. And you'll see, you know, if you're thinking about really growing out your business, most of us mm-hmm. live in a global, at least a minimally national economy. And so a trademark protection from the state level really doesn't give you, you know, much bite. The federal even protection. Even if your timelines are different, even if you started or you registered before that person. Well, I, I, I don't, you know, everyone's different, you know, even if, yeah. if you register in a state, it should probably pop up. But again, most people will do a federal registration over a state registration because the state okay. is limited and doesn't really give you yep. the level of protection people are assuming when they think of a trademark. And so the things that 
when you think of a trademark and the protections that, that you receive from a trademark, that's a, that's a federal protection. And so when I'm saying, you know, what are some of the steps you do when you're first starting a business that's, you know, registering your business, filing for a trademark, that's a federal trademark I'm talking about. So you're going to file okay. for your business in a state because yeah. um, business where you register a business is based on state specific law, but the trademark that you're looking to protect it, you're looking to protect the national trademark. And if you're an international business, then you're going to look to go to other countries to get protection in the other countries as well. Okay. There's a lot to cover here. Oh man. <laughs> so many hypotheticals. What if this, and what if that, because I think a lot of the, um, the confusion is, you know, a lot of, there's a, a lot of websites that pop up every day. Anyone can build a website. It's not very expensive, but I think people can get a website and start promoting a business or whatever it is they're offering. And they don't take the step to actually um, register or trademark that business. And I think there, there might be some confusion between this federal registration, you know, going with the trademark or just having something registered in state. So a business might exist because somebody put up a website and started selling online and they're based out of New Jersey and then somebody they go and do some online research and then they find that oh wait there's a trademark on this which is a federal you know I think someone else but they've already started doing and conducting business right without actually checking which happens a lot and then if that happens you get a cease and desist letter to say hey you need to stop you're infringing on my trademark you need to stop selling your services. And a matter of fact, I want damages. I want to, you know, everything that you got uh, in, in relation to you sold under my trademark is actually mine, right? Because mm-hmm. you're infringing on my brand equity, all the, all the work that I've done to get there. But before, let, let's take a, a, another quick kind of pause and say, you know, we have one thing called like registering a business and registering for a trademark, two totally separate mm-hmm. things. And yep. so when you have your business, you can register it, register for your business, meaning forming an entity in one state separate from registering for a trademark. So you can have right. a business and a business name when you register it. And this is something, one of the things that people say that's actually wrong. People say, well, I registered for my business. So my, I'm protected because I filed for mm-hmm. with the state, the secretary of the state for my business name. So it's Cabin Law LLC and I file it. Great. I'm protected from anyone else using Cabin Law LLC. You know, in my state, sure, they can't form that. They can't form a business called K. Bennett Law LLC. Actually registered my um, my business. It's not for any other states in the in the country. And matter mm-hmm. of fact, someone else can come up and then they can register. You know, K. Bennett Law with three with three T's right. and, <laughs> and get that registered because because the states. Forming or registering a business is just making sure the state can distinguish one business from the next. And a mm-hmm. simple letter change does that. What a trademark That's does, it, it, it prevents people from misassociating, even if it's not actually spelled the exact same way. If it sounds right. the same, basically it's essentially the same. Like if you're, if you're a sneaker company and you're kind of changing it from a swoosh, but it you know, kind of looks like a swoosh. So maybe <laughs> you might think it's Nike. That's what trademark registration does. So all mm-hmm. that work you're putting into building out your brand, making sure people recognize that you have this quality service and, or good or both or whatever that you're selling out there, they want to make sure no one confuses that. And so 
trademark really helps people know who you are as a consumer. The registration name is so that state can identify you for tax purposes and annual filing purposes. And when you're signing your contracts, mm-hmm. so you know who, who's the person that's, res- or who's the entity that's responsible for, you know, gotcha. adhering to the terms of the contract. Okay. So I just want to get some advice from you for all the, from you, for all the listeners who, you know, already have something going, but might not have taken the steps. I mean, is there a such thing as too late? Um, I mean, obviously it would be too late if you search the patent and trademark office and the name exists, but you can go in. There are other ways you can go back and change the name or do something else to kind of protect yourself. But what advice would you give to somebody that is starting to build something? You know, here, here's what you need to do first before anything else. And then for those who have already, so I'm asking a two-part question here. <laughs> for those who have already started, um, for the things that they need to have in place because, and these are for the people who may have started without actually registering or actually trademarking. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do just to make sure, you know, I'm okay. My first step right after this, I hear this is go check the patent and trademark office mm-hmm. and register this or consult with Kimberly Bennett, <laughs> okay, Bennett Law, and make sure that I have all my ducks in a row. Where do I need to be? So let me say, and, and I didn't say this in the beginning to be like the most annoying lawyer, but of course this is general <laughs> knowledge, right? Education, you, to know what's going on in your particular set of facts, you should really speak with someone, particularly in, in the trademark space, right? Because it's not just a very quick analysis. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know, you want to, if for some reason you're going down this rabbit hole and you realize I've been using something that's infringing on someone else's. Have a conversation yeah. with someone. You need to you need to figure out what 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 are your risks right now. What's your exposure, right? If you if there's a lot of exposure there, you know, pivoting might be what you have to do. Changing your name might be what what you have to do. And that's you know so that you don't get that cease and desist, or maybe you've you know flown under the radar, and you just have to make those changes. But it's never too late to get your ducks in order. Maybe it might be a little painful process. Maybe yeah. it will, you know, take you longer than you expected. Maybe it won't. But if you know you save you a whole lot down the line. Exactly. Being proactive about your business is really important. And the legal model as it sits now is most people decide to engage legal when you have an issue. And, in, uh-huh. and that is your most expensive way to ga- engage uh-huh. legal, period, right? So instead, you want to come in and say, you know what, I'm not sure... Can you do something? So for like in the trademark space, if you're running a brand already and you're doing something, you can go sit down with an attorney and say, can you, you know, do a search on my trademark and to provide me an analysis of the risk that, you know, I never did it. Now I'm interested in trying to get this trademark. Let me do that. So most people go, they, they apply for a trademark. They think it's just paperwork. No, before you right. even apply for the trademark, before you apply for that registration and fill out that trademark application, what we do as attorneys is we do searches and we make sure and we see what's out there to see what, what your risk analysis is, pro- provide you that analysis and let you make an informed decision as the owner of that mark to say, do I want to move forward with getting registration or not? Mm-hmm. But, you know, so if that's, that's for trademarks, if you haven't selected a business entity, you know, consider taking a pause, looping in someone and right. setting up an entity, right? Like you, the thing that I say is, are you okay with losing everything you have? If you're someone that's been working for years and you're transitioning into starting a business, well, you probably have 401ks. You right, probably right, have, right. you have some savings. You might have a house, whatever, a car, some jewelry, who knows? You have assets, mm-hmm. whether they're a hundred dollars, a hundred thousand dollars. 
the question is, do you want your assets to be potentially liable for things that happen in your business because you didn't take the time to just to be a little more informed about it? So, you know, it's never too late. Take, take a moment, say, if you're serious about being a business owner, the way to be serious about it is to make sure you're informed and you have your ducks in a row. Not everything an attorney is going to recommend to you, you're going to do because yes, we're risk adverse. That's what you're, you're hiring us to understand the risk, but you're also hiring us to help you through your development stage to help you think through, okay, how do I navigate? And so bring on someone to help you navigate. Got it. Well, I mean, we covered a lot and I know that there's a million and one questions, but I do want to take the time to thank you so much, Ms. Kimberly Bennett, for um, walking us through all of the questions from when to register, how to register, what to look up, how to protect yourself, and so much more. So if you wouldn't mind, just let the listeners know where they can find you, how they can reach you if they are looking to get some of this advice directly. Surely. Well, one, I want to say thank you for having me. It was super fun to have this conversation. I can probably talk about it for days and days (laughs) and days. So I appreciate that. And of course, you know, it's really, my goal is to help entrepreneurs become informed entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs and intentional entrepreneurs. And so while this can't be legal advice, I hope it uh, provided enough value so you can understand some of the steps you should consider. Um, but for me, I am available across all, all social media. So, well, almost all K Bennett Law. So K B E N N E T T Law across Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is where you mainly will find me. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. And if people are really interested in, in being proactive about, their business proactive about engaging legal services. I just have a newly launched membership where I still have some memberships available for people if they're interested in. And so that goes, it's really geared, geared at new entrepreneurs. So there's an onboarding fee for each level, but it starts Mm -hmm. at $95 a month up to $395 a month. And if it sounds like something that people are interested in, they can just reach out to me and do, we can do a quick little chat session and see which is the right fit for you. And then they can join and you'll have access to my services. If you're in the States that I'm in, which are New Jersey, Pennsylvania, we can do that. And if it's trademarked, then I can work with you on intellectual property matters nationally. So what are some of the things that we get? um, Last, last question (laughs) Uh, between the, you know, the 95 and then the 395, what are some of the differences that you get? Like some of the benefits to going with that 395. So the, the the 395 is really focused on those who are looking to like get work done in their business, right? It is, it is guided support. And so there's limited services that are in there. And as you go up through the stages, each stage includes, includes a little bit more. So if you're someone that's looking to form your business, you know, register a trademark, get your contracts in a row that's the best one for you. You'll, there's an onboarding fee. And then every quarter we work on a trademark, we work on a business formation, and then we can continuously work on developing out all of your template agreements because we didn't get to talk about that a lot, but having template agreements that are customized to your business needs Mm -hmm. are really important as you're growing and scaling your business. But then if you're not quite ready, then you can be on the $95 one, which still gets you workshops. So everyone gets workshops. They'll have one document reviewed a month. And um, at the highest level, you do have quarterly strategy sessions. Every level has the ability to do some scheduled quick calls with a member of the firm. So you have a lot of access to us. And the idea is that you're, you're becoming a part of our family and we're helping to support your growth. And if you're just a freelancer, just kind of just figuring it out, start with the 95. But if you're someone that's ready, that's getting going and really in the planning stages or you're already operating, well, then be on, be on our guided on memberships. And when you're really ready to move up, then we have a higher level that really is customized to the business needs for the more established businesses. 
Perfect. Perfect. Glad to hear it. Well, all the information is there. You're easily accessible. You gave a lot of info in this call. So I am really grateful and thankful that I personally got to know some of this. um, And I'm sure a lot of people are going to benefit from this call as well. Well, I'm happy to do it. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely talk soon. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, Famous Fam, that's been another episode of the Famous Talks podcast. Looking forward to hearing your feedback and comments. Go to www.famus.co and let us know what you want to see, who you want to see, and how you want to see it. Looking forward to your feedback. Talk to you soon.